Now, further ado, um, I would like to introduce uh, Paulina. Um, how do you say your board? board Borrego. Borrego. It's okay. Mexican. I Mexican. am Mexican. Okay. All right. Um, so basically, you're you're um, the, the the librarian at the UMass yep. Patent Library. Right. Yep. Okay. You've been there now for a couple of years. I started in 2007, and I've been the patent librarian since 2009. So. I am brand new to okay, this. <laughs> that's a couple of years of your bill. You're doing okay. So, um, so please, you know, do you want a questions at the end or oh, during the middle? I was or? hoping that this could be more of an informal exactly. discussion, as, okay. and as we go along, you could like, if you knew the This, this, this American Life was it more than it was like 40 minutes, and I think that I think it was the only one that they've done. I don't know if it was part of a series or not. I'd have to look look into that. But I was hoping this could be more of a okay. Good. Well, welcome, Paulina. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, so I'm brand new to this. I've only been doing this for about two years, and my role is that UMass Amherst is a patent and trademark depository library, and part of the requirement is that they have a patent and trademark librarian, and so in 2009, one of the librarians left, and they asked me to take that on. What that means is I help a lot of independent inventors who come in, uh, people just like you. You don't have to be associated with UMass. They just come in and say, I have this invention, What's the process? How do I go about getting this done? And what I usually tend to do, my specialty, is helping them do a patent search to see if there's any prior art before they actually go forward. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of sad because I've seen people lay out money to patent attorneys. And then they come in and say, you know, the patent attorney is kind of jerking me around. I need to do some of the work on my own. And they find out that it's already been patented and they've already paid someone some money. So... So uh, I'm really here to be an advocate for you and teach you how to do patent searching so that you don't have to go through that sad story, okay? So yes, patents have, it seems like ever since I became the patent librarian, I see patents in the news all over the place. It's like when you buy a new car, you see that car every place you go, so. So yes, there was this recent story on July 22nd and This American Life. And then it was picked up by WBUR, NPR, on a, that, that was on around 5 o'clock because I was listening to it as I was driving home. So that got a lot of buzz. And so my talk tonight really has three parts to it. Patents 101 for people who are, I don't know if there's anyone new here, but just a little quick little overview of what they are, some trivia, stuff like that. And then the real meat of it is doing a thorough patent search and teaching you how to do that and explaining why you want to do that. And then I have, at the end, I have some resources that you might not know about that are just new for inventors that have to do with the USPTO and things like that. And some of them I'm very excited about. So if you have questions, just ask. And if you know more than I know, that's okay. So you can help me out. <laughs> so my first slide is a disclaimer in that I'm not a patent attorney. I'm not a patent lawyer. I don't speak legalese. This is a new thing for me. So again, if you know more than I know, please help me out. So, yeah, legalese. I'm amazed how much patent stuff is written in legalese. That I just, it goes way over my head. Okay, so here we go. Okay, so you probably know that a patent is for a period of time. It grants you exclusivity for that period of time. And in return, you have to disclose your invention upon being granted the patent. So basically, it gives you a monopoly for about 20 years for your invention. Okay, I, this is a resource that I don't know if you know about, but in reading a lot of patents, I find it hard to decipher what's what. And this man, Michael White, you might want to make a note of that, had at the University of Queen's University in Ontario, 
has put up this wonderful document on the internet. If you just Google anatomy of a U.S. patent document, it'll come up. And it's great because it tells you all the little parts. Like I never knew what the little B meant in a patent and stuff like that. So he goes through all this, a very nice um, template of what a patent looks like with all those little parts. Okay, so that's one resource that you might want to might want to print out when you go to the internet. So again, Michael White, Queen's University, Ontario. Okay, so one the first thing I learned about was patent numbering. And the patent number's always up here in the upper right. And as I said before, I never knew what that little B was, but he goes through and explains all those little trivia parts of it. And as you can see, we're getting up to, I think this month or maybe next month, we'll get up to eight, eight million patents is what they say. So that's just, that's just amazing. So of course, patents started out in 1790 when the Patent Act was first adopted. And those patents, from 1790 to 1836 were called the X patents, and they were just with your name and the year. So like Smith 19, you know, or that would be too late, Smith 1790 or something like that. So in 1790, there were three patents issued, and so and now we have just hundreds of thousands. So it's just escalated, okay? So those X patents, I don't know if you know the story, but they were destroyed in a fire. And so all that information has had to kind of like been back created. So I don't know really how they do that, and I'd like to know the story of that if you know more. But the first numbered patent began in 1836, and I believe that was a patent for something locomotive. I think that was, what was that? Yeah, something locomotive. Oh yeah, locomotive steam engine traction wheels. Whereas the first patent in 1790 was for the process of making potash. But I didn't know, and maybe you knew and I didn't, that patents actually were issued before 1790, that colonies issued patents. And actually the first, this was the first U.S. patent was in 1790, but the first patent ever was issued in 1646 by the colony of Massachusetts from the mill, mill, mill manufacturing of size, those things that you cut the, the hay with. So that was in 1646. So that was you know, a good 150 years before that patent was ever issued. So it would be good, nice to research all those patents that the colonies, that the colonies issued. I think that would be fascinating. So someone should write a book on that. Okay, so how many patent applications do you think are received every year by the USPTO. How many do they get? Patent applications. And this would, I think, would include provisional applications as well as the regular old applications. Any guess? A million and a half. Oh, well, you're somewhere close between the two of you. <laughs> Half a million, 520,000. Yeah, so that's a lot. Hello. That's a lot of applications to process. And I didn't know if you know, of course, that there are three types of patents, the utility patent, the design patent, and the plant patent. And as you would probably think, the majority of patents are utility patents, whereas design patents are even fewer and plant patents even less than that. One of the things that uh, we have as a patent and trademark depository library is we collect all the plant patents. So we have, they are sent to us every week as these beautiful photographs, and then they also send you the actual patent, the paper patent. And I guess the reason they don't put them on the web is because with the plants, the, 
the photograph, the color has to, depends, it is so true. Like the color of a plant will vary so much that it has, the photograph has to be true to that particular plant. And if you had it on this screen versus that computer screen, the color might be different. And so that's what they say, that that's why they give them to you in paper. But it's really kind of a pain because have, I have these filing cabinets just full of these plant patents that come every week and no one ever looks at them. So it's really quite a shame. So, so. Anyone here have a patent on anything? Yeah, congratulations. That's, that's like a huge thing. Okay. So again, the majority of patents are utility patents that they that they give every year. Okay. Okay. Well, so a question on, sure. on plant patents. Are plant patents the things that we think of like asexually produced plants? They like a, like an apple tree. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or a different color begonia, or you know, all those different type of things. Okay. So they're they're things like that. So. Genetically engineered? Would that be a? Would that I be a don't. That, no, I don't. They have to be asexually reproduced. Whatever that really. So it means. says that. It says yes. A plant patent must yes. be. Yep. That's okay. what it says. That's the definition. Yep. Reproduction of a distinct and new type of plant. So I don't think they can be genetically engineered, but. I can look into that and get back to you if you really that's have that question. That's a question. I know yeah. that they're doing there's so much work done in that era. It seemed like there'd be a lot more than nine. Right, right. By now. And to me, I think the easy. If I was going to like someone said to me, you have to get a patent within a year. I would go for a design patent. That that seems like to me like the easiest. Could you just change the design of something a little bit and kind of get a patent? And although I don't really think they they do much to move us forward, you know. So anyway. So how long do patents last? People are always asking me that question. And boy, I'm telling you, this word usually is always there. I think it's like their disclaimer that a utility patent usually lasts 20 years depending on if you pay the appropriate maintenance fees. A design patent is 14 years. And as you can see, a plant patent is also the same as a utility patent, except there are no maintenance fees. So I don't know why they have their own little distinct timelines and things like that. But 20 years, I think, is a pretty good long time, except for the fact that it takes you so long, darn long, to actually get the patent. So, because it takes, how long do you think it takes to actually get a patent? Two years. It takes 35 months is what they, what they say now. Yeah, that's a long, long time. Okay, so there are I should have asked you before, how many patent examiners do you think there are? There are about 6,000 patent examiners. These are crazy people, I'm telling you. If you go down to Alexandria, you meet these patent attorneys, they are like super smart, nerdy people, and they just, they just look at like one class or subclass, and they are so specialized in their little world that I'd like to know how they actually get to be that way. I think they're just, I think a lot of them have PhDs in their subject area and then they become examiners because I think they get paid pretty darn well. You know, I've never seen so many BMWs and Porsches and things like that that I saw in the parking lot as, as I saw at the UP, USPTO. Okay, so there are about 6,000 patent examiners, about half a million patent applications. So that means they each have to process about 83 patents a year, which seems like a lot. It means you have to do at least one a week. So I imagine that some people do more than others and some are easier than others and things like that. So, 
Okay, and as I told you before, the actual filing time, the time for filing to issue is 35 months. So that just seems, that just seems really sad to me. You know, that's, that's a very long time to kind of keep you, keep you in the lurch. I know. So, and what percentage of patent applications do you think are filed electronically? Because that's the big push. Ever since 2000, they really started to. Oh, oh, you're pretty good. <laughs> okay, 89.5 percent are filed electronically. And I found this. This was a good. This was a good. Um, Resource that I found it was uh, it was uh, the United States Patent and Trademark Office Performance and Accountability Fiscal Year Report for 2010. It was put out by the Pat Patent Technology Monitoring Team. Okay, so they still accept paper applications. Did you do a paper application? The people who had done uh, I, think, uh, I think it, it got eventually turned into electronic. It gets. That's what I'm saying. They accept paper but they turn it into electronic using something called the image file wrapper system. So that began in June of 2003. So all paper, paper submissions are turned into electronic. Because I don't know if you know how it works, but these patent examiners, these 6,000 people, don't actually work at the USPTO. My understanding is they live, and this is how I learned it, because I was talking to people in the elevator in the hotel I was staying at, and I said, oh, what do you do? And they said, oh, we're patent attorneys. I said, well, do you live, why are you staying in the hotel? And they said, they just fly in for a few days every month, because they have to for some reason, but they live all over, the, all over the United States, and they just do everything electronically. So they can queue in to their, you know, their search system from home. So that's kind of funky to think of that, that they actually don't, don't work. They don't work there, they work at home. And they, I guess that that um, requirement that they have to fly in or come to the office a few number of days a year is going to be changing because they were saying how it's wild that they have to, why do they have to come in when they, when they can do everything from home, okay? Okay, patentability requirements, it has to be novel. I don't really, that's just such a, a, a you know, kind of hard word, very nebulous, which means it was really never patented before. It has to be useful, and who really decides what useful is? The USPTO doesn't pass judgment on if something is useful or not. And it has to be non-obvious, which means, again, they always say about an ordinary person in the field, you know, it would, it would be something that wouldn't be obvious to an ordinary person in the field. Okay. So novelty is the big thing that I really deal with, and the importance of doing a, a good, thorough patent search so that you don't come up against something that was already patented. Okay. So any questions on that? Any of the first little part, patents 101? You probably knew all that. Yep. I hope I can answer it. If not, hopefully someone in the room can. I think I'm a little confused about um, when you were saying that typically it can be, you know, for certain patents, 20 years, 14 years. Yep. Um, why is it that I always hear that there's, like after a year or something, that, that is, there's, the protection is not there? I think... The company could... What? Say that again, Jeff? Like, I think she's talking about... The provisional patents? Right, because the provisional patent, you don't have to really, you can apply, it's cheaper, it's a hundred and something dollars. You don't have to really provide any claims, but within a 12 months, you have to apply for the real thing or else it's out the door. 
So in other words, what you're saying within 12 months, and then is it literally almost like to that day that they were Yeah, they, right, and if you listen okay. to that story of those patent trolls, that's what they do. I mean, they wait to the day that those patents are up, and then they snatch them. And then it was just, okay. it was such so a sad story. Your own, your hard, own hard luck yep. Okay. Yep. Part working on the, the real okay. one. Okay. Right. So do as much as you can Right, and that's really what I'm hoping to get across is you try to do as much upfront as you can, and that really has to do with doing a good, thorough patent search. Okay, and I don't know, go ahead. You said they snatch them. Yeah, they what don't they? I believe they buy them, or they, because companies sell their patents when they go under, so they kind of buy them. Although, right. No, I think they actually sell, can buy them when they are real patents also. Like if you, yeah. a company went under and they were selling their patents off and they were, they were still in the 20-year period or something. Yep? There's big news in the last couple of weeks of both Google and Apple buying uh, thousands right. of patents. Right, And reportedly, they're not necessarily buying them for their own technologies. Right. But they're buying them so that when people sue them against their patents, they've got such a broad range of patents that they can go back to those same people and say, look, your little optical thing here violates one of our right. 10,000 patents. Right. So if you let us off, off the hook, we'll let you off the hook. Yeah, that's So it's sort of a def they're almost by right, the defensive, defensive mechanism. And it's so sad. Yeah, it's just. Not really a, it's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, that story on This American Life was just so depressing to hear that, you know, it's kind of like turned on its edge, these, these whole patent companies and stuff like that. Okay? So patent searching, have you, I um, imagine you've all done at least some patent searching. I always tell people at the very beginning it could be complicated and time consuming. So that's really sad. Okay, here's the Mecca, the USPTO in Alexandria, Virginia. It's a great place to go. If you happen to be in Washington and you have a day or something, they're open from Monday to Friday, 8 to 8, to help inventors. Uh, you can, from 8 to 5, yes, from 8 to 5 they have someone who can help you from five to eight, you're kind of on your own. And they offer classes. I don't know if you know that, but they have two, there are really two databases that the examiners use. One is called WEST, the web-based examiner search tool, and the other is called EAST, the examiner assisted search tool. And these are the, like, these are the search tools that they use and they offer classes in those databases, how to search those databases. And the West class is seven hours, and the East class is four hours. So they're pretty comprehensive classes. So anyways, if you go here, there's just rooms of computers where people come and do searching, and they can't do the searching for you. They can't give you legal advice, but they can kind of guide you as to how to use the databases and stuff, stuff like that. And that, that can't go through your regular computer. That cannot go through your regular computer. But I am going to tell you how you can get it without going to Alexandria, Virginia, okay? Yeah, come to UMass, right. So there's public training. If you go on their, their website, there's public training and there's a schedule for how often they give the classes. I think the West classes are on, there's one Wednesday every month and then the East class is a Thursday every month. So they have a lot of classes that you can go to, yeah? Okay. I believe they are free. 
You have, and you should know that if you go, you have to bring some type of identification because the building is very secure, and you have to have like a passport or a driver's license that is current so that they can issue you a pass. It was amazing because I went there. I've gone there twice, being a patent and trademark depository librarian for training, and the place is just—I mean, it's like lockdown. It's, you know, which in one way I kind of see, but another way I think is kind of silly. But who knows? It's the government. So I really encourage you, if you're down there, to, to go and see those people, because it's well worth it. But if you don't want to go there, you can go to a patent trademark depository library and access the database called WEST, PubWest. It's the web-based examiner search tool. So it is the search tool that the examiners use when they do patent searching. Okay? So the Patent and Trademark Depository Library program began in 1871. There are about 85 patent and trademark depository libraries in the country. Most of them are academic, some are public, and some are state. And here are the ones that are closest to you. And this one in Fairfield, Connecticut, just became a patent and trademark depository library last year. So that one's relatively new. Right in Fairfield, down there a lot. Excuse me? In Fairfield, Connecticut. In Fairfield, Connecticut, right. So they're a depository. They just became one. And so if you go there, they have access to PubWest, the database, and there's a patent and trademark librarian there who can help you navigate that and teach you how to do that. It's kind of a funky database in that it's very particular. It's very, um, yeah, it's very precise. There are times that I have wanted to cry because I've put in like a search term and I've come up with nothing. And I'm like, why isn't it all working? But, you know, I call the help center at the USPTO and they're always willing to help me out. So there's always help available. Okay, so these PTDLs are places that you should become familiar with. And as I said, UMass is a patent and trademark depository library. We became one in 1984, so ever since that. Okay, so at patent and trademark depository libraries, you can get different services. There are the plant patents. There's called something called CASAS, so all the older patents are put on CDs, so if for some reason the PubWest database goes down, you can still access the patents. There's print materials like indexes, we have how-to books, and before I go tonight, I want to know what are some of the books that you would recommend, like those no-ho no books, like Patent It Yourself, is that a good book? It is, because it's so thick. But, and then there's one for patent drawings that he's put out. That's pretty good. And are there any other ones besides the no-ho ones that are good? Or is it pretty much those are, those are, because I buy those for the library and I'd be interested to know if there are any other books that I should have for pa patrons, okay? And so I have, we also have brochures, so help yourself to some brochures that I brought along. And the big thing is we have this PubWest database. So you might be asking yourself, what's the big deal about this PubWest database? Like, what's up with that? Okay. So the PubWest database, and I'll be talking a little bit about the USPTO database, but the PubWest database is really like, it is the search tool that the examiners use when they do, um, when they do patent searching. It's really a funky thing because you have to, it's only at the public and trademark depository library, so there are only 85 places around the country. And it's got this funky little thing. You have to log in, put a password, give another password, give another password. And then there's this little thing called the FOB, which has like six numbers, a little electronic thing, and it, it 
I guess it communicates with the mothership back at the USPTO. And every 30 seconds, that number changes. And so you have to type in that, that number as the password, the last step. And it's really, it's really kind of funky. So. so it's very, very secure. And so the reason you'd want to use it is that um, you can really go through patents a lot quicker. You can, if you want to print them, I don't know if you've noticed, but on the USPTO website, you can only print one page at a time, whereas people come and, and they want to print lots of patents because they're creating their, their uh, prior art, all their stuff. And actually, we don't charge for printing. We just ask if you can print more than 20 pages that you bring your own paper. So it's a great deal if you, like let's say you're going to a patent attorney and you want to have all the stuff that, all the prior art in a notebook and stuff like that, you kind of come, go there and you print it out and we don't charge and, you know, it's kind of a, a good deal. And you can go through patents very, very quick. And another, another good um, feature of the PubWest is that it has something called optical character recognition. So you can do keyword access from 1920 to 1975 and I'll talk about that and really what that is with the USPTO database and stuff like that. You can look at European patents on it, Japanese abstracts, and have some foreign patents, things like that. So it might be worth coming and make, what happens is you would call me or email me, and my email's on the, the handout that I gave you, and you would say, I want to come up and use the PubWest machine, and uh, you know, I just log you in and help you out a little bit to teach you how to use it, and then set you free and kind of go to it. It's very powerful. Most people I find use other databases before they go to PubWest because it's like using a bazooka when, when you just need a little, I don't know what the analogy would be, but it's very, very powerful. Okay. How does PubWest compare with Google Pads? I'm going to go into that. Excellent question. So PubWest, what the examiners use? Google Patents. Okay, this is the place where I usually have people start because it's the easiest to use. I mean, everyone knows the little Google search box. You just type in a word, a, you know, a thing like some, or an inventor, things like that, and you get the nice results and you can click on them. You don't have to have what's called the TIFF viewer when you go use the USPTO database. You have to have something called the TIFF viewer. So this you can see things as PDFs. So that's kind of nice. The thing I don't like about it is that it's not as up to date as the USPTO database. And the search results are kind of wonky in that how did they rank these search results? Why is that one at the top and another one way down, stuff like that? If you read about Google Patents, I find that they say, we use a number of signals to evaluate how relevant each patent is to a user's query and determine our results algorithmically. So somehow they have an algorithm where they decide what's more relevant than what. So that's the one thing I don't like about Google Patents, but it's such an easy search to use. You just type in keywords, inventor, patent number, and it comes up. So I would say it's a place to start but it's certainly not the place to finish. I have a question. Sure. Uh, regarding your uh, Google patent searching, mm -hmm. uh, they'll bring up the patents along with uh, applications applied for. Yep. Is there a way to, to block that? that? Like say you apply for a patent and you don't want your application shown. Oh, I don't think you have a choice. Does anyone know that answer? But I don't think you have a There's choice. There's a section for that. Um, In the application? 
on, I, I sent to uh, Washington and have them send me an application. There is a section about that in their instructions. Um, and it's, there, you do have a choice of whether or not to publish the application, That's true. your application. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, I, I'm not sure what the default is, but you do have a choice. That's really hard because what if I'm doing a patent search and your patent application is not public and then I wouldn't know. I'm not sure how they, how they do that. But I'm going to write why, a note to myself. Why I wouldn't want it to be right. published. I was thinking, uh, I mean, yeah, sometimes, like say you're doing a patent search. Like I did, my, I did a patent search and a name had came up that fits my item perfectly. I mean, I mean, my stomach just dropped. I know. But then when I clicked on it, it was nothing like my product, but the name matched it perfectly. Yeah. Right, so the description matched yeah, it. Yeah, the description matched perfectly. So I was, I was, it kind of hit me. I wonder if some people would uh, do a patent search, see an application, and say, well, it hasn't really filed yet. If I change this and change that in the application. Mm -hmm. Well, then you're getting into novelty. Right. Part of it. But, but once you file the application, have that date, that filing date. That filing date, so it's yours. So it and tries to file after you, you have the date. You have the date. Unless you miss your fees and it kind of gets abandoned. Right. Well, I just hear so much of like people who will see a patent application or a patent and say, well, if I tweak this, change that. But so they can't get that, it through any faster than you're getting it. Right. Well, you have to, you're in line that's where you get the prior art thing. If it's too similar to yours, then that won't be happening. Okay, let me just say this one last thing. Sure. Uh, I had heard of a case where a, uh, um, some brothers, they, they had, had a sweatshirt and they uh, licensed it to a, a major manufacturer. The major manufacturer wound up seeing another patent. They turned on and bought that patent and then sued the brothers for a patent. Yeah, right, right. It's dirty business. It's yep. That was dirty. Which makes me wonder if you're paying somebody to do a search for you, if you're paying an attorney, is right? Or you're really just sort of um, you're trusting them. That's the thing. Like, are right. they are they any better than anybody else? And I don't think they have they have any type of insurance. I'm like, wondering that. Right. They have, a, they have a, a legal obligation to to you if you pay them. They have a legal obligation to be upfront. But, but you could just hire a bad one. Search thoroughly enough. Well, they have right. more tools than the average. Right, right, right. Correct. You can say. Yeah, years ago when I got my patent, I did a patent search mm -hmm. in Mass with the help of the folks up there. Oh, Lenny place. Adams was probably the guy who helped you. <clears throat> Lenny Adams. He was probably the guy well, who helped was you. Seventeen years ago. Yes, he was the patent. Okay, he yeah. was great. Okay. And. Um, and, the, and I eventually got a patent, and my lawyer also hired a company that did the patent search, and the results were three separate sets. Some overlap, like A and B, some uh -huh. overlap, AAA or ABC would overlap, but but there were three different sets of, of answers, answers in terms of priority for all three. Ultimately, it was what the U.S. Patent Office said, uh -huh. but you can argue. Uh -huh. Right. I think the more educated you are, the more you know of what's out there that's similar to your patent, the better, you know, the better you're, you are to be mindful of that. So, Okay, so Google patent searching, I think it's a good place to start for people because you could do it at home, you're, you know, you can do it anywhere, stuff like that. But 
And the other thing you could do at home is also use the USPTO website. So how many people have used this? It's kind of not as easy. So we get, get a little bit more difficult, okay? And here's where the difficulty lies. In the fact that there are really two parts to the USPTO database. I just pulled up the quick search page because that's the one I usually use. You just put something in here and you use, drop, use the drop-down fields. But if you read this little part over here, you see that everything before 1975 is only searchable by issue date, patent number, and current U.S. classification. So if you put in bicycle, you're not going to find patents pre-1975. So that's a lot of prior art that you're not getting to. So that's the main problem with the USPTO database is this little, this little part that people don't see. Okay? So again, it's, it's really divided into two parts the 1976 to the present, which you can search with keywords, and the older part, which you can only get through. I mean, what good is it to know the patent number, you know, stuff like that. How do you, how do you normally search the, the prior patents? This is what I'm going to tell you. You need to learn about the USPTO classification, the USP, USPC classification system. So this is the classification system that is put out by the USPTO. It was started in 1836. It's a hierarchical system that divides things into classes and subclasses. As you can see, there are 450 classes and more than 150,000 subclasses. So there are just tons and tons of classes and subclasses. And if you go to the page that has all the, the classes, it looks like this. So it's just like, okay, okay, where do I start? <laughs> Gee, I'll just click on these. And there's no rhyme or reason to these. They're just like, I think two is apparel and four is, I know 119 is animal husbandry. And I mean, it's just like all over the place. So I'd like to read a book, if anyone knows it, on the, the history of the USPTO classification codes. Well, they also list uh, the classifications yes. by name. Yes, so this is, a, this is the way that you're going to get to it. And so I have what for you is like a little sample search of what I go through, a little dog and pony show of what I go through with, pe with people who come in of how you would go about doing this. So the first thing I tell people is you need to brainstorm words because bicycle could be, to you it could be a bicycle, whereas to you it could be something else. So you need to brainstorm synonyms of your invention. You look up the class of, in the classification uh, index for those terms. You identify the class and the subclass, and then you start to review all those applications and those patents in those classes and subclasses, okay? And then I'll tell you a little bit about searching the non-patent literature, okay? So Google patents can be good for coming up with inventions that are similar, similar to yours and helping you determine the class and the subclass. Okay. So I always come up, I just have a little tiny example, which is really kind of easy, but it shows you the point. Let's say I invented a heated cat collar. How would I go about finding the class and the subclass? So the first thing I do is I come up with synonyms, all the different words for heated cat collar and stuff like that, and I think, where do I start? Okay, I had some person come in and say, oh, let's start with cat. Let's look up cat. And so I said, well, I don't think cat's going to be a good thing to look up because you can't really invent a cat. So let's come up with think of something. Let's think of the next best thing. And they said, collar. Let's look up collar. So I went to the USPTO classification system index. And I usually use the HTML version, and I'll tell you why. And we went to C for collar. 
and this is what we found. Okay, we found collar. An animal collar is class 119, subclass 858 with that little plus, which means there are other subclasses which might be relevant. Okay, so that's how you're going to get to it, by looking up in that classification index. Okay, and the reason I use the HTML version instead of the PDF version is if I click on that, it's going to tell me, it's going to bring me to that class, and it's going to bring me to a definition of that class. So 119 is animal husbandry, and then I search down, and these you would think would be in some type of order, but they're sometimes not. And I get down to subclass 858. Okay, so I'm thinking 119 class, 858 subclass, and what I would do then to see if these inventions are anything like what I'm thinking of is you, put, you look at the patents and you look at the applications. And the reason I use the HTML version of this is because it has these little links there. Okay? So you go through, and there's the definition of subclass 858. And I'm telling you, this is where the, like, the legalese and it kind of like blows my mind how they write these things because it's not very intuitive. And so there's always doubt. That's the, that's the worst part. There's always some doubt in knowing your class and subclass. Okay? But you search all the patents and all the applications. So if I press on that P, it brings me to, there are 125 patents with that class and subclass. And it's the class and the subclass right there. And you start looking through these patents and you start seeing if they're anything like yours. Like, am I in the right place? And then you do the same thing with the applications. So there are 59 applications with that class and subclass. And so you're telling me that you don't have to have that application. I always thought the applications were uh, published, you know, on the website. I think it, that may be the default, but it's a separate choice. You have to tell them, please don't. Yeah, I wrote that down to find, because I just think that's awful then, because you could be doing a search and think, oh, there's no applications, there's no patents unsafe, and then you apply, and you get hit with yeah, prior yeah. art, because yeah. someone didn't want their application published, okay? So, you search the applications, and then you go through the same thing all over again for each synonym that you came up with. So, for example, instead of the word caller, I thought of the word harness. And so I went under harness and found collars, and that's class 54, 19.1. And so you would search all the applications and all the patents in that particular class and subclass. So it is just time consuming. And it's like a maze. You get into those patents, you're looking at 125 patents, and you get, you get lost because there are just so many of them. So I always tell people to keep a log of your work. Like what, like I would go back, like usually what I tell people to do is go back to this page where they listed all the, all the, these are the, all the applications, but they listed all these and I start to just check them off and make little notes to myself. Was it relevant? Was it not relevant? Because you get in there and you're just, you're just overwhelmed with the number of patents that you have to deal with. Okay. So I've heard it said that it takes like 300 hours to do a good patent search type of thing. So it's just a lot of work.
What's the typical fee for a, a lawyer to do it? I do not know. I think it depends on how hard the patent Four search is. An hour? No, for the search. For the search? Yeah. Um, that and more if if um, if it's they have to get into some obscure. And I imagine there must be, I don't know how the whole system works because I'm still relatively new to this, but there must be lawyers who specialize in certain, like certain classes and subclasses, like, you know, I'll, I know this type of invention versus that type of invention, because how can they know the whole system? Because you're thinking there are these examiners who work at the USPTO who are, I mean, they are specialists in that one class or subclass, so they really know the territory after working there a few years. They, know, they can say, oh, yeah, that's prior art. But, like, you're trying to go up against these people who, I mean, this is what they do every day. So you have to have time and energy and, you know, conviction on your side and hope. You always have to have hope. Yeah. Actually, that goes to my next question. What's the best and most efficient way to find an attorney or an agent that specializes in your field, that's right. actually done work in your field? Is there like a way or do you just, because I know when you do your patent search, you know, you can see the attorneys and agents that way. I believe there's also the difference between an agent and an attorney, right? Because right. an yeah. attorney is. I would imagine if you went to a, somebody in the industry, like um, say the garment industry, you would mm -hmm. check with their associations. Um, if there's a switch of association towards the American well-being, they would be able to refer you to specific. Uh, so you start start with the end product and work backwards. So you mm -hmm. other other manufacturers. It's a very good I think that would be more important in, in higher technology like software, hardware, you know, integrated circuits, things that were incredible complexity to have this. But when it comes to standard mechanical devices, it would seem to me that a, that a, that a good attorney who is familiar with patenting right. mechanical devices, they can do a good job on this level of thing. Mm -hmm. It's pretty easy to apply the knowledge from one to the other, but you get into this, this very Specialized. all this, these patents that Google bought, these telecommunication patents, you know, integrated circuit stuff, then mm -hmm. you really, really need somebody who's done that exact thing right. before. And word of mouth, like if you know someone who's gone through the, I mean, that's why I always tell people I can here. Add to it. Um, in October, we are going to be having Michael Blake, who is a patent attorney, so he perhaps can answer all of your questions when it comes to that right. category. Oh, that's good to know. Like, I always tell people to come, like, I just learned of your network, and I always tell people, there's nothing like talking to someone who's gone through the process, you know, who knows, who knows a patent attorney who can help you out, things like that. Because, I mean, I imagine, and on the USPTO website, you can find a listing of, but, I mean, how do you know? Right. They definitely specialize. Right. When I did my patent search, I kind of jotted down some names of agents or, or attorneys that were kind of close to my field, but like no one was nearby, nearby me at all. Right. So. But that's not necessarily necessary. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. You don't take a trip in the wintertime. But there's nothing like meeting the person and looking them in the eye, you know, like, and seeing where they work and, you know, the whole, the feel that you get when you, when you meet them. I, you know, I've done a lot of work with SCORE, and SCORE can point you to uh, the Retirement Corps of Executives and point you to that in the so, SCORE could do that? Yep. Oh, wow. <coughs> huh. The Retired Corps of Executives, I think, I don't know what it is. 
Service Corps of Retired Executives. Thank you. I heard that. Press the way to build with America's counselors, a small business with the office upstairs. Oh. And they, it depends. Different, and you can go online for SCORE. I'm not too sure. And get counseling from anybody who's a SCORE member anywhere in the country. And it's free if you're SCORE. Oh, wow. And so you can put in what you need with a particular expertise because everybody's a volunteer and everybody has a different background. No, no financing. <laughs> no financing, yeah. Oh, that's the other they'll, they'll help you write a business plan, which will get you right. Right, and right. their workshop, in fact, one started yesterday here and they're offered in us. Uh, oh, how to write a business plan? How to write a business plan, business plan, cash flow, and why start your own business. Huh. Uh, it's that three and it's repeated uh, at different times. They're now experimenting with Tuesday evenings. They have been Friday afternoons. They've been Saturday mornings and over afternoons. Wow, a lot of times. Uh, yeah, so just contact you. Contracts. Score. Score <coughs> Western Mass. And then uh, find out about the local thing. But you can also go on Score National and get counseling from anybody anywhere. Right. Score is in this building. It's upstairs. Yeah, that's what she's saying. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Oh, that's her. So. so another thing I want to bring up is the non-patent literature. And so I don't know if you really know, know what that means, but that means you should search journals, conference proceedings, uh, internet sites, government publications, disclosure documents, newspaper articles, things like that. And that's something that I could also help you with because I am very good at doing, that's actually what I do every day is help people find journal articles about certain things and stuff like that. So the patent stuff's kind of like my side gig, if you go, if you, if you will. Well, I'm just learning about that. Okay, so I want to tell you a little bit about some resources for you. And so obviously the first one uh, that I was thinking of, because uh, I always keep track of it, is the USPTO Visualization Center. I don't know if you've been to that site, but it's like the patents dashboard. You can see how many months it is until you, you know, how many, what's the backlog? of patents, stuff like that. So it's kind of a neat little feature that they... That Where do I find that? Uh, just from the U.S. I just Googled USPTO Visualization Center. Well, I've been to the USPTO website. Can right. I, is there a link on their main page? Yes, I believe so. What's but if you go in this, if you go right up here and just put Visualization Center, Data Visualization okay. Center, I think you can get it that way. But I do have the... I can't read it up there, and you probably can't read it from the... I'm sorry, It'll show you, like, how many... What's the backlog of patents? How many patent examiners are working? It's just kind of a fun little information thing. So that's okay. just one point. And of course, you should also know about the Inventor Assistance Center. I don't know if you've called them, but every time I have called them for some help in searching or stuff like that, they are very, very helpful. Okay? They can't answer legal questions. They can't do searching for you, but they can... They can, you know, answer your questions about, you know, I have, the, I just applied for a provisional patent, you know, what, what, the, what should be my next steps, type of things like that. They have a book of instructions. They do. Very helpful. They are very, and they're also, they're extremely nice people. What uh, center was that? Oh, right on the USPTO website, the, the Inventor Assistance Center. And they have an 800 number and, you know... Questions concerning a particular patent application, things like that. What they can and cannot do for you. So, my advice would be to call them twice. Yeah, and see what the average answer is. Well, to see what the different answers are, because I had an experience with them that it was.
real weighty answer that, uh -huh. that I needed. And I called one person, and he absolutely guaranteed me. There were some intricacies in the answer. He guaranteed me that this was the right answer. Uh -huh. And I said, I did a little bit of reading, in fact, at that myself. And I said, that doesn't sound like what I'm reading here. But it was complex, and it was legalese. And I called back, and I talked to another guy who told me something completely different. Wow. Which was about the life of my pet. Wow. A serious, serious. So maybe question. you want to take an average of the answers. And no. I'd always get the I'd always get the name. I always, when I call a center, always get the name of the person I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. You know, because then they can say, you know, I talked to Sue and she told me, you know, such and such. So, so that's a, that's an excellent point. This just came out yesterday. The new ver the new edition of Inventor's Eye. So I don't know if you read this or not, but it's it's a really cool magazine. They had that article about the woman who invented the self threading needle and stuff like that. So if you need some encouragement that you can do it, these are stories of average people who have done it. Inventor's Eye. I would just Google that and it'll come up. Okay, and that's put out by the USPTO also. So that's another good resource. Okay, some other resources that you might not know about. I don't know if you've been involved with the USPTO online chat. They're having one, I called them. The, the next online chat is August 18th at two o'clock. The USPTO online inventor chat. So if you just Google that, USPTO online inventor chat, they have instructions on how to get in on the chat and they have transcripts of the older chats, which are good for um, like questions, because people seem to always ask the same questions. I wish they would make these into like some type of database where I could then search. You know, I could search patent applications or something, so they would, they, all, the, all the questions that came up that had to do with that would come up. Okay, the next one is something I'm very excited about that just started in June, and this is a new venture between NTIS, which is the National Technical Information Service, and the USPTO. They are making public all the modules, the training modules, that the USPTO examiners have to go through. Because they have to go through, they have to show that they're proficient in certain things, and they have modules that they have to train in, and they have to take tests and stuff like that. So all these modules are through this USPTO NTIS portal. And I have to tell you that some of them do cost. Some of them, like you can look at a module that costs 60 bucks, and there are other modules that are free. So I went in and just started looking at some of the modules that were free. And so they are like, you know, I was looking at one that was about 20 minutes long, and I forget what it was on, but it was free when, an, when I signed up for an account. So this is good because you know, if they're training these examiners using these modules, and let's say you, you're going to go for a patent application, it would be neat for you to know what they know. So it kind of gives you an edge up. And I don't know if you could, as a group, like, if you could sign up for one and broad, you know, if you could broadcast it here. Because that would be kind of neat if you guys were all interested in a certain one, and you got together, chipped in to pay the 60 bucks, and then you all viewed it together would be kind of a neat thing to do, you know? So you should look at those, okay? And again, you have to sign up. And some of them do cost. And I believe there was something where you can pay $200 and get access to all of them for a year, which I thought, I thought that would be kind of cool for my library to do and then invite people to come in and view them. So I, I'm going to look into that because I think that would be a great thing. 
great service for you guys. Okay, I don't, I don't know if you've been following the uh, patent reform, but I found this interesting. I don't know if you know that at the Library of Congress, there are librarians like me who specialize in certain things, and what they do is they write uh, reviews for Congress, because Congress doesn't have time to learn about everything, so they, are, they write art, like these lengthy articles or review papers about topics, and this one, has to be a, this one happens to be about the patent reform in the 112th Congress, so if you want to learn, learn about that, that's something that you could read. These things, these, uh, these reports put out by the Congressional Research Service usually have to pay for and get through a database, like we have a database called LexisNexis, which you, you, can, you can access these reports. But I, when I Googled just patent reform, CRS, it came up. Okay, so I thought that was kind of cool. Someone has, you can't see it here, but across, it looks, it, someone has put like the name, like draft, you know how they have draft or something like that? They have put their name, gallerywatch.com. So they're the ones who actually paid for this report, and then I think they put it up on the web. And the whole big thing I'd like to ask you about is, I know we're changing from a first to invent to a first to file country because that's what the rest of the world does. So now I think it's going to be a little, it kind of scares me, because all those people who have the power behind them to file first, I think it's going to be kind of, kind of tricky. And then the last thing is the iTunes thing. I don't know if you've gone to iTunes and seen that, seen that they have some little modules that you, can, that you can listen to. They're kind of neat. And the last one is just something if you have kids and you're, or you need to learn about intellectual property. What's the difference between a trademark, a trade secret, things like that. But this is another good resource, this intellectual property. It's done by a group of lawyers. So, I don't know. I met, I met the woman who does this, and she was really kind of. She was a patent lawyer, and she was really something. So, I thought that was kind of cool. So those are the resources that I know about, but hopefully, I think what I'm most excited about is the NTIS, those portals, those modules that you can actually see that the examiners are being trained in. I think that's kind of, kind of cool. Okay, so any, any questions? We've kind of gone about patent searching. Any questions about how you can do that? Like, how you can do that? Okay, you know? And I really do encourage you to come up and use the USPTO website. The, the Pub West. Yep. Maybe I missed this, but in the beginning, did you talk about um, our ability to be able to access Pub West without? You have to be the a, a, a PTDL. You have to be the public uh, a Pratt and Trademark Depository Library. So you can only be at UMass Amherst. You have to be at one of those libraries. You can't get to it from my computer at home. You can't get to it from your computer at home. You can only get to the USPTO database. Does the US does the PubWest database offer um, It offers features that the USPTO database does not. Like you can print things in groups. Uh, you can you can see go through patents very quickly. Okay, so it's does it have a does it have a reference by function? A reference by function. I do not know that. Yeah, that's when you're you know you're searching but for instance, if I looked up my patent, which was granted 17 years ago, uh -huh. I would click on referenced by. Oh, like, yes. Yes, because I believe that the, in the patents, aren't those all listed? Yep. 
in, a, in the USPTO site? No, in the, whenever you have any patent. In my patent, no, nothing in, nothing, if somebody looked up my patent number, right. a five million number, right. and, and there would be nothing um, after oh, I see what you're saying. granted, right. it would be listed there. But if you click on reference five, then you get everything from now, from today, back, back to when the, back patent to when the patent was granted. Was granted. If you give me your name and number, no, that's okay, because I'll go upstairs to the PubWest machine. I almost log in every day, and I'll play with that little feature and see if it does that. But, you know, I would think it would do that. And I don't know why the, the USPTO would do that also, the USPTO website. Either that or Google I think Google right. Patents does that. Yes, they, I know they do that, but Google Patents is kind of, it's easy to use, but it's not as good. So. Yes, so please avail yourself of this resource. You know, so if you've done your homework, you know what you're looking for. So, but it's not a type of thing that you just come in and say, oh, I need to like, you know, find a patent, do a patent search, and I've got like 10 minutes. Because it's going to any international patent searching? Yes, it has the EPO and Japanese abstracts and things like that. It has some foreign patents. So, and you can search, what's nice is you can search a, a number of different uh, databases at the same time. Nice. So that's kind of neat. So. Anything else? I don't know if I can answer, but I can try. Go ahead. Um, what would be the one of the better times to um, stop up there? I use I work every day. Not every day. I work every uh, weekday from nine to five. But if you, I work some Saturdays, so that's when I meet a lot of inventors. I work like around one Saturday a month is what my rotation is. So if you told me. You know, I want to come up sometime and I could say to you, oh, I'm working on Saturday, you know, in the next Saturday, why don't you come up and stuff like that. And I could help you with the USPTO, with the PubWest and stuff like that. But How many computers do they have for PubWest? There's only one because you have that one little stuff. And I, not very many people use it. You know who happens to use it a lot are lawyers. I get lawyers from Connecticut who come up and I get this one young woman. Who, she comes for the whole day. She comes at nine o'clock and she leaves at five o'clock and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't move. I think what she's doing is she's doing patent searches for, for clients, and she's learned to use that database. And she's like, she's a hot ticket. So those lawyers, you know, have, I mean, they're charging up the box to do those, to do those searches. So yeah, so I would start with Google Patents. You know, you take something that you know. What I always like to do is take something that I know, like your patent. How many, you know, what's going to come up, reference by, and stuff like that. And then do the same search in the USPTO website and see what you get. And then do it in PubWest and see what you get. And I bet it's going to be like what you say. You get different, you know, A, B, and C and some overlap and stuff like that. So that's interesting. So, so I'm just so happy to be with you. And I'm so happy to know that there are people who are doing this, you know. Because I'm always thinking it's always the man, you know, the, the company man who's like getting all the patents. But you can do it. That woman with that self-threading needle. When you do searches on the uh, patent system, yeah. does it catalog or save the uh, search? You can download the, them in batches. So you can put it into, like you can take... Well, I mean, if somebody goes in and just searching oh. words... Does it record that? Uh, your searches are saved until you log out. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, oh, you I'm, might know well, if someone I'm knows not, what they're cookies. doing. Yeah, for somebody to go. I believe not. Believe not. You don't know. 
I don't know. That would be like that's a trust type of question. Is the well, USPTO I, I like if there is some way that somebody could access what you're searching? searching if that could try and run through some kind of a Software, software. Where could actually right. determine what somebody is developing by looking what they're searching. Spyware. Is that, yeah, spy, yeah, spyware. spyware. I do not think that is. They have to hack the USPTO. No, I think it's a good question. I've never thought about that. Because, right, because you're doing a search and you don't, you don't want other people to know what you are searching. So. Because that's actually caused me to Searches. Wow, that's kind of. All I know is that this is the USPTO, the PubWest is so secure. It's like you have to go through so many, you know, rigmaroles to even get in that, you know, oh, I think they'd have to hack into the USPTO to, to right. get that information. But I think it's a good point. You know, you bring well, up a good point. Yes. At yes, as well, it's more secure. The, the right. PubWest is much more secure. But I was curious if even within that system whether it's being reported. Well, I guess anyone can hack into almost anything these days, right? But I think the chance is, is pretty low. So, so you're concerned about the information being saved. Seen, being right. saved, there right? There has to be some reason why they would need that. Well, with Homeland Security these days, you don't know. Oh, that's yeah. true. That's true. That's right. When you're doing all this research on, on your ideas, how, my big question is how do you protect yourself from everybody? I mean, and it's, it's a terrible question. How do you protect yourself from, let's say, even you? Right, like when people come, I always say to them, you know, like, I don't want to really know what you're doing because I don't want to, you know, violate that in any right. way. So that's why I usually have sample searches that I do with them and I try to get them to understand the concept of how to do a classification search before I set them and let them do the searching themselves, because I think that's an excellent point, because, I mean, you don't know who you can trust. Well, that's, that's exactly, I mean, you can do your research, have great ideas, and all of a sudden someone else someone takes says, it. he's got a great idea, let's, right. let's just build on it before he gets to Librarians tend to be trusting people. Well, they are, but blurs are now, so. <laughs> that's true, so I don't know how you deal with that. <laughs> that's, I think, where you have a network of people and you ask, you know, as we were saying before, how do you know how to good, find a good patent attorney or a good patent agent? I think, you know, trusting your colleagues is maybe where you have to start. And I think there's nothing like your gut feel. You know, when you meet with someone and you look them in the eye and you see where they work and all that, all that type of stuff. No? What I've found, and my, I don't have a patent yet, but I've been concerned about these security issues for a long time, that um, I've found that most people that you meet don't have time to risk you off. Right, that's, I think you know, that's It's a very low probability, <laughs> right. except that you would actually have to disclose your idea in detail right. to someone who is interested in that, in, in that field. It's, it's, it's very low probability. Of course, to us, we only have one idea, and, and you know, we really want to protect that. And it's right. a good idea to watch your step. You don't want to go around talking to people about it. When you do online searches, there's so many of these. There's really no way to, to like make heads or tails of that information without actually talking to the inventor himself. Mm. And even then, a lot of people are they're just curious because they want to hear about something new. They really don't want to rip you off. That's true. 
it's too much work. It's basically the idea yeah, is simple work. Part right. So right. anybody who's crazy enough to steal your idea, then right. take a one in two thousand chance after spending tens of thousands or hundreds well, of thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's is, just, is just, not, just know, think of how much work we're going through, and you know right. everything about right. it. Right. But it's a corporate world, who knows? Yeah. You know, that, that's the concern I have. It's not you coming in and doing, you know, it's so much for corporate workers. You know, because a lot of times, you know, when I you know, talk to people, most of you work for a large corporation. One, at least somebody works for a large corporation, right? Well, I'm not going to like But I know people work for, like, you know, uh, uh, well, Cold Morgan will be one, uh, Sikorsky, you know, United yeah. Technology. So I know some of these people, and just talking to them, it's like, sometimes I feel like when you talk about a certain thing, they're like pulling on what you know and vice versa, and when you try to reverse it, it's like they're very tight look. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's a totally different yeah, world. That's someone who would be interested right. in your idea, and they work for someone who can develop it. Right. Their employer has told them about it. Uh, they're backed by billions, you know, yeah. so at yeah. that point, yeah, don't, it's not something you want to talk about, right? Generally, and just as a little side, because when I was at the USPTO, I was asking this question: like those examiners who see all these inventions must somehow then think, like, ooh, what if I just tweak this and I could, you know, yeah, make a better question? Like BMWs and the Porsches. <laughs> no, I think they have to. They have to. They have to sign things. They have to, you know. They are, they are legally bound. Go I ahead. just have one note. If people say how wonderful Albert Einstein was and how what a great inventor he was, does anybody know what his real job was? Patent clerk. Yep. Right. Yeah. Attorneys, USPO staff, and everyone does not apply for a Right. Right. No. Even here, right. Okay. Yes. Makes sense. Because so they, they must see so many interesting things that pass through their their desks, right? You know, and say, "Gee, I could take this idea and that idea and put them together." And yeah, but that's the question I was asking when I was down there. So, so, so good luck. Come use the come use Pub West. Come uh, avail yourself of our resources and things like that. Please take things for either yourself or your friends, so I don't have to take things back. Pens, Thank you, brochures. Oh, yeah.